Welcome back into Rover Sports here. We are a part of 610 AM ESPN Radio. We also have our own YouTube channel at Rover Sports. And also we're beginning this Apple podcast. And I'm very um, excited to introduce my next guest. And it is Deuce Bingham. Uh, Deuce, you do radio down in Louisiana. Why don't you tell us about your YouTube channel that's ever growing and also tell us about the radio work that you do down in the bayou? Yeah, well, a lot's been going on these past few months, especially with uh, this past season. Mentioned the YouTube channel started that right before the start of the pro and collegiate season. And it's gone up a couple thousand subscribers. It's where I host my state podcast. Also working with uh, ESPN Radio and local radio down here in Louisiana and Ruston, Shreveport, Monroe, different cities, uh, mostly covering the same. But, uh, yeah, LSU is where you can't get away from LSU down here. It's purple and gold and black and gold. So. Oh, no doubt. And, um, and, and Deuce, basically you started – I really found your YouTube channel because you started to do post-game shows. And you would do it with a, with a co-host who's very talented as well. And you would also do this sort of show where your your face was on the show, but you also were taking in comments maybe on YouTube and, and also maybe other social media sites. Can you kind of tell us about that endeavor this year? Yeah, well, uh, just to be honest, talking with several different individuals just in sports media, where things are going, you know, I've had the, the pleasure to talk with guys, uh, you know, like over on the Locked On Network, FanRag Sports, here in local media that we have, you know, at The Advocate. It just really seems like sports uh, media as a whole and sports journalism is really taking a shift to more of an online-based thing. It's not the paper that you, you pick up for a dollar you know, on the side of the street anymore. So having things like podcasts and digital media, especially video media that the fans can now interact with live, has really started taking off for a lot of people. And you're seeing different companies invest heavily in these type of platforms. So that's just kind of what I'm doing is getting ahead of the game there where – so you're not seeing it too much. Uh, as I know, uh, I think I'm the only person in Louisiana in terms of having this show and, and doing what I'm doing. But, you know, I've seen great success. We're averaging, you know, a couple thousand uh, people watching and listening every episode. So for sure, it's only been all, you know, six months in a small market that we're in in, you know, New Orleans and Louisiana. It's been pretty awesome to see what's become. So, so do some. So, tell me, did did you grow? Did you grow up in in Louisiana? Did you grow up in New Orleans? Uh, where did your Saints fanhood come, and 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 where did you start to develop that passion and caring so much about everything New Orleans Saints football? Well, I think really um, just being in Louisiana, being born here, being raised here, the Saints are just a part of the culture. And I know that sounds really cliche. You hear it about from different teams and. You know, fan base, and I'm not knocking the other fan base, but, you know, anybody who's taken the time to go to a game in New Orleans and really experience the culture of what's down there, it's something different that the team has, and, you know, the fans experience that as well. You know, and just as I get older, you know, become more of a fan of the game. It really wasn't until I started working with the scouting academy inside the pylon, doing actual player evaluation, that the desire to really understand the game deeper and know things more, uh, started going to the Saints side of things for a long time. It was just, you know, a fan being a fan. And the more that I've gotten to work, you know, with the scouting academy, with those inside and around the NFL and coaches and front offices and players, you know, I just kind of focused in on that and used it as an opportunity to do something with the team that I, one, like the most and two, that I'm nearest. So. 
Absolutely. We're talking here. We're talking here with Deuce Wingham. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Rev Deuce Wingham. And, and Deuce, I wanted to talk specifically now about this past season. You know, the Saints, when you talk about the NFC South, it, it's quite a juggernaut with with um, with Jameis Winston, with Cam Newton there in Carolina. And then you had the NFC South champions, a team that was just maybe two minutes away from being world champions, and that's the Atlanta Falcons. So going into the year, the Saints were kind of an afterthought. You went up to Minnesota. Sam Bradford diced you. You came back home to play the Patriots, and you saw Anzalone getting beat time after time by future Hall of Famer Rob Gronkowski. I was going into that Carolina game, and all the hope that I had in the Saints for the 2017 season was certainly dwindling. Where were you after this 0-2 start, and did you see that 27 to nothing blowout in Carolina coming? Well, I can't say that I saw the blowout, but before the season started, I told fans to expect, look to lose the first two and try to come out of it 2-2 two and two on your first four games before the bye week. The big thing was for New Orleans, and, uh, and I don't have the metrics in front of me, but I, if I remember correctly, they finished third in the league with amount of rookie minutes played throughout 2017. So you had a really young roster trying to get together, gel, build that camaraderie, build that communication that you know, there's really good teams, specifically defenses have. And, you know, they got picked apart by a good quarterback in Sam Bradford. You went against one of the best quarterbacks to ever play, maybe the best ever in Tom Brady. And that's a tough spot to be in. If you look at the divisional matchup of the Panthers and the Saints, they've always matched up pretty well. And with the recent route that Carolina's been taking as they're in a rebuild mode, you know, they really helped fit what New Orleans could defend. So if there's a team in the division that the Saints could really pick on, if you will, it would have been Carolina. It didn't have the ability to really threaten the team deep. It didn't have not have a stable running game, which is something the Saints linebackers struggle with this year. So everything pointed to a win. Can't say that, you know, you point to blowout, especially in divisional matches, but you definitely see the Saints coming out of it once their young guys start to get acclimated to the game. For, for so long, you know, I'm, I'm from the Northeast here, up here in Pennsylvania, and, and, and I look at the New Orleans Saints, and I always, you know, when I watch the teams, you know, from up here go to, pl to play in the Dome, it's always shootouts, it's always races to 40 points. I, I always, you know, imagine Drew Brees, you know, doing the two-minute drill, and I always imagine shootouts. And certainly you had that with the Redskins game. But in three straight wins this year, you played the Chicago Bears to a 20-12 to win. You went to Buffalo and had maybe the most impressive game out of any team in the entire league, winning 47-10 to in Buffalo. How did Dennis Allen do it this year? Why was this defense different this year? Well, a lot of it has been, you know, the, the Saints, the last time they had a successful defense, you have to go back to when they had a, a younger and healthier Jabari Greer and Keenan Lewis. I mean, uh, when you don't have stable corners in this league and, you know, what everybody calls a passing league, well, you're not going to have a lot of success. And they've had guys, you know, they have brought in Delvin Bro from the CFL. They, they try to bring in Brandon Browner. They try to bring in Champ Bailey at the end of his career. They, they just have not had an answer on the outside, so they've continually gotten picked apart in the passing game. Well, Difference this year is you had Ken Crawley entering his second year who showed a lot of upside his rookie years at UDFA. He shut down Julio Jones one game, which is, you know, a monumental feat on its own. Then he comes in as the number two guy, and then you draft Marshall Lattimore, who is a, you know, a world-class guy and certainly performed 
above expectations, but defensive rookie of the year, sensational player on the outside. So when you solidify that, you already had one of the better uh, edge rushers in the NFL at Cameron Jordan. So now you're able to get him some help on the back end. And a lot of it for Allen was just simplifying things, you know, getting rid of some of the things that didn't work. You know, the Saints for a couple of years tried to copy the Seattle Seahawks mold of the match cover three concepts in the back end. They play single higher, play cover three, and it just wasn't working for them. So they, they simplified things a little bit. They brought in younger guys. You saw almost complete turnover in the secondary from where Rob Ryan had it as. And, you know, the more experience these guys got, the better they started playing. And that's how you were able to really turn things around. It wasn't a big schematical change. It was mostly a roster change, and you saw them have success. So Sean Payton, I guess, mostly just sticked uh, with, with Pete Carmichael to offense. And you're saying that in the past, their their defensive coordinator kind of overfought how to teach the cornerbacks. Like this year, maybe it was just more basic one-on-one corners, just letting Marshawn go out there and do his thing with Ken Crawley. Well, it's kind of a complicated situation. Uh, the reason that the Saints tried to switch to the Seattle cover three match system that Seattle ran so well in the past few years before they started to kind of fall apart sure. uh, is because Sean Payton actually forced Rob Ryan to adopt that system. Um, there wasn't a you know harmonious relationship between those two individuals. They're both you know very strong personalities. They clashed a lot. And Dennis Allen is actually a guy that is familiar with Sean. He's worked with Sean before. You know, going back to the early days when Sean took over the Saints. And I think there's just a little bit more trust there. So, you know, you look at the, the type of system that Dennis Allen ran, you know, they would run cover three, especially early in the year. They weren't asking, you know, corners to make complicated assignments, like knowing, you know, if you got trips left, asking guys to play match and, you know, switch off players. And you weren't trying to overcomplicate things for them. You were giving them man-to-man assignments, sticking the outside, and then having your veterans cover those intermediate sections and zones. So for Allen, it wasn't as much, you know, dismantling what wasn't working as much as just playing simpler football and then adding wrinkles here and there as the season progressed, letting those young guys get used to it. So I like the combination of several things. You know, Dennis Allen had a really good year in his own right, but having the roster turnover, getting rid of what wasn't working, and then just simplifying things to have success later on. And we'll just see how that works for next year. We're talking here with Deuce Bingham. You can find him on Twitter, Reverend Deuce Bingham. And he has a great, great channel, the Houdat Confessional, on YouTube and Twitter. He does all kinds of radio work. And, again, Deuce Bingham has his own. He works for the Scout Academy. He, he also does college football scouting. Deuce, I wanted to kind of ask you this stereotypical kind of Saints question that a guy like would maybe from the outside looking in will ask, and maybe you'll get annoyed by this question. Not maybe as much as a Minnesota Vikings uh, playoff question, but uh, Drew Brees. Has he been taking too much money, do you think, from the cap uh, for, for the defense? That, that's kind of a stereotype that is kind of a national media talking point is that Drew Brees the last couple of years has taken so much money that the defense just can't equal the, the same type of production. Can you kind of address that sentiment? Well, I think there's two ways of looking at it. Well, one, you, there's never been a quarterback to win a Super Bowl that accounted for more than 12% of a team's cap. But you also got to look at New Orleans is, you know, you can use that argument, but then that didn't stop them from making Jarisburg the highest paid safety to ever play at the time. I mean, so they were able to dish out a $54 million contract, even having Drew Brees on the roster, eating up a lot of money. So, uh, you know, I, I can't say that the fault is 
on signings. I mean, if you really look at where the Saints struggled, it wasn't a free agency. Yes, they had some big blow-ups. You know, they went out and got a big guy and it didn't work. That happens, So, You know, they, they still will get the Craig Robertsons, who's been a, you know, a starter for a couple of years. They would get a quality mid-tier or bargain bin, whatever you want to call them, guy who could contribute as a role player. They were still able to do that with Drew Brees. What they really failed for years was drafting. And until Jeff Ireland came in two years ago, uh, you look at their retention rate at one point before Jeff Ireland came in, the Saints had a 17% retention rate on defensive players. So of, in the Sean Payton era, they only kept 17% of the guys they drafted on defense, and most of those are first-rounders. That's a horrible number. shows that you're not able to not only scout, but develop the talent that you're scouting and you know drafting. So you had Ireland come in. You started to see the team have some depth again. So when a guy goes down, you know, you look at, you know, Lattimore, who wasn't able to play every game this year. You know, had a couple of injuries. Well, P.J. Williams was able to step up on the outside. You go a couple of years ago, they didn't have that ability. When Jabari Greer went down, it was Corey White who suffered tremendously. When Keenan Lewis went down, it was White on the outside against the Philadelphia Eagles where Keenan Lewis shut him down in a playoff game. And then he goes down with a concussion. And then Deshaun Jackson just goes loose against Corey White. So the problem with New Orleans was depth a lack of drafting well. I think Ireland coming in fixed that. Now, you still have that thing where the quarterback can only make so much money before, you know, history says it starts to have an issue. I can't think you look at New Orleans that a guy like Drew Brees, who's a top three quarterback in the NFL, even at 38 years old, and say that's the problem. There's got to be other things causing the losses to happen. Right. You alluded to the playoff game where they kicked the game winner against Philly. Yeah, uh, that that game was James sweet. Graham kicked the game winner field goal uh, in Philadelphia. The game we weren't supposed to win because it's on the road. How sweet was it? that? Must have been so sweet. And you know what? It's ironic that they got rid of the pass interference call because that's the only thing that kept the Eagles in the dang game. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see how that rule change affects everybody going forward. You know, uh, it's fun to think about looking back how it can affect games, but. Um, I don't know. I think Philly ended up winning out here in the end with y'all getting the Super Bowl. So. <laughs> right. Right. It's funny. You know, I, I personally am, am not the biggest Eagles guy. You know, I'm a Giants fan kind of living near the Philly territory. So, so it's been a little bit rough. It, it, it's been really rough, and my heart kind of sank when the uh, when the Saints lost because I, I knew you guys would give a much better fight in the NFC Championship game. I, I really thought that you guys – I really think you guys had the pieces this year um, to do it. What, what did you think? I mean, you guys barely escaped the Panthers, though. So, so what did you think of this team, like, in the playoffs and um, – you know, like, what did you what did you think if you would have ended up, you know, finishing the Minnesota game? You think you guys would have had a chance to win two more after that? I personally don't. And it's not that I don't believe in the talent, but, you know, at the point of that Minnesota game that had come up, the Saints had 20 guys on injured reserve. You know, uh, it was just a really rough season. You know, you, they ended up losing, uh, in total, if I remember right, seven starters on defense that ended up on IR. It was just a difficult year. You know, and that happens. You can't blame injuries, but I think everybody will agree, well, you know, when you lose a certain amount of players, you simply lose a lot of talent. So a lot of the ways that the Saints were successful defensively early on, you know, uh, they had a pretty decent linebacking group when they had A.J. Klein and Anzalone. And, but then when you're relying on Manti Teo, who's a two-down linebacker at, you know, at his best, and Craig Robertson, who's a, basically a journeyman, it's not a good situation to be in. 
you lost Kenny Vaccaro, who was one of your leaders in the backfield. You know, he was one of those signal callers to help get everything coordinated. You know, and I think Philly's just a good team. You know, you look at Philly, they had home field advantage. I don't see the Saints going up, you know, even if they manage to hold off and win against Minnesota, beating Philly. Doesn't mean that they can't make a run next year. Just, you know, at some point you just have to break down and admit, hey, this team's hurt, they're missing pieces, they're just not as talented. And I think Philly shows why they won the Super Bowl because they had enough talent to overcome losing an MVP-type player, and I don't think the New Orleans could have beat that. When, when you look at the New Orleans Saints, you, you trade Brandon Cooks to, to the New England Patriots. You bring in guys like Ted Ginn uh, to, to play wide receiver. Will, Willie Sneed, I believe, is there. Do, do, do you think that in the NFL you can win championships without maybe having like an incredible number one wide receiver? And I know Michael Thomas is very good. What, when, when you look at Odell Beckham and you look at these guys that want to get paid tons of money, do you think that the wide receiver position is so pivotal to have a Hall of Fame caliber guy? Or do you think if you have a quarterback and a great head coach that you can kind of make guys like Ted Ginn play out of their minds? So it certainly helps to have a good coordinator and a good coach. I mean, that, that's the start of everything. Now, I do think that you have to have some level of talent at receiver. I mean, uh, the reason that you're willing to let Brandon Cooks go because he didn't develop into a true number one. He was a flanker. He did not have the ability to release at the line. He struggles to separate with anything but speed. He's a great deep threat, and he can make some good plays. Michael Thomas is a traditional split-end receiver, and the Saints were more comfortable with him as their primary target. Now they didn't have to pay Cooks. They could also get some collateral back for him. You know, But you also look at a guy like Ginn coming in. Ginn's able to do exactly what Brandon Cooks was you know, going to do for a cheaper payday, longer life, because you've got a guy like Drew Brees who's a Hall of Famer and Sean Payton calling the plays, I think the key there is obviously the quarterback that you have and the coaching that you have. You know, you can only overcome so much. I mean, if you don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback and you don't have a, you know, top five, top three play caller, then I think you do have to put a little bit of an onus on having a top wide receiver option. And if you look at the Giants, they're a completely different team when Odell's not on the field. Um, you know, Sure, there's other factors to that. There's play-calling problems in New York, coaching. But Odell is a game-changer. I mean, you have to game-plan against him. The things that he can do change the game. Simple as that. You look at Julio Jones, it's the same thing. Atlanta has a different team when Julio Jones is healthy and on the field and when he's not, regardless of who the offensive coordinator is. So I think there's a balance there that you have to kind of find for yourself, depending on the roster that you have and the coaching staff that you have in the front office that you have calling, calling the shot. So... You look at New Orleans, they're able to have success with a top-tier guy in Michael Thomas. He was top five in most categories this year. He's playing on a rookie contract. You know, uh, I think you're able to do that because Drew Brees is kind of getting towards the end of his career. But if it was five years ago, Drew Brees shows that he doesn't need a top guy. He's, he was making do with guys like Lance Moore and Marcus Colston. So it all depends on the situation you're in. Absolutely. Deuce, um, we're here with Deuce Windham again. Deuce, uh, I want to thank you for your time. I'm just going to ask you a couple more questions. I, I've had yeah. a blast here, and thank you so much for joining the show. You're, you're welcome to come on anytime. I want, you know, since the Saints now, the Saints are at a launching pad, you know, sweeping Carolina, winning that game in the wild card round. The Saints now are suddenly, I think, in a great spot heading into next year. Uh, what are, do you have some of the highest expectations for the Saints team that you've had in a long time? Like, are you thinking home field? Are, are, are you hungry now for, for a championship and for home field advantage? 
and, and what are your expectations for, for this upcoming year? And and then finally, what um, additions do you want to make in the NFL draft for your New Orleans Saints? Well, I think if you look at the Saints, talent-wise, you know, it's all there. I mean, as you said, you can see the Saints making a run last year. The problem I have when it comes to the home field argument is the division. They're in the toughest division in the league right now. You know, you're looking at two teams that have put Super Bowl contenders up in the past three years, two MVPs, you've got a Super Bowl MVP quarterback. The division's simply loaded. So for you to really have that home field advantage you're speaking of, you kind of have to try to sweep the division or go really well. I mean, five and one, maybe four and two, you know, uh, even have a shot at capturing that. And I think that's going to be a really tough thing for New Orleans to do. Not that they don't have talent, but when you're in a division that difficult, it's like I said, it's going to be tough. And, you know, you look at Philly or New York, that's another tough division. But it's not like we're talking about, you know, the West, where the Rams are kind of the up-and-comers, the, the, the Seahawks are down, the, you know, the Cardinals are rebuilding, the 49ers have got Jimmy the potential GOAT, but they're not anything yet. That division is a little bit easier to get through for the Rams. The Saints don't have that same ability. So uh, I think that you have to answer the problems that you have. They have glaring needs at linebacker. You have a needed defensive end with Alex Okafor rupturing his Achilles. You never know how players are going to come back from that. And then they're also, it looks like they're going to be letting Kenny Vaccaro walk. He was primarily their slot guy. So now you've got three holes to fill, two really big ones at linebacker, but, you know, holes to fill on defense. Offense, it's really not much they need except a slot option. You know, they went from being the number one team on third down in the NFL to, if I remember correctly, 27th last year. And that's all on one player. Willie Sneed went from being a top slot option to having problems in the offseason. And I think he ended up the season with nine catches. I mean, it was a really, really down year for him. And it hurt the Saints' offense. They weren't able to consistently dominate on third down, which is crazy. Because if you look at their statues, the points they put up, the yardage, you would think on third down they're a top five team. But they did all those great games and 40-point you know, games and all, struggling immensely on third down. They've got a great run game, probably the best duo running backs in the NFL, a strong O-line. They've got to answer the slot on both sides of the football. I think they've got to get some solid linebackers to help them stop the run. Because they had one problem on defense last year was consistently stopping the run and the big play by the run. I think they've got to answer that. They have a chance to make a deep run next year. Absolutely. Hey, Deuce, great stuff. Deuce Winham. Thank you so much for coming on the Rover Sports tonight. You were great, and I really appreciate the time. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. A lot of fun.